millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. As this is the last episode of 2017, I just wanted to wish everybody listening at home a happy holidays to you and yours. It has been an absolute pleasure bringing this podcast to you, and I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Our listenership in 2017 has risen dramatically, and I want to give a special thank you to all of you out there that have contributed to this podcast. We cannot make this without your contributions, and those donations have been extremely, extremely helpful, and and we seriously thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So I wish you guys the best of the holiday season and a happy New Year's, and we will return in January with our first episodes of 2018. Season 3 will continue on. Thank you all, and now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 8, Frostbitten and Forgotten, the Canadian-Siberian Expeditionary Force. In 1918, a multinational coalition led by Britain and the United States invaded Russia in an attempt to topple the Bolshevik communist regime and install a government that would continue the fight against Germany. As part of this multinational coalition, Canada sent 4,000 soldiers, making up what came to be known as the Canadian-Siberian Expeditionary Force, the CSEF. This is their story. This week's book recommendation is Benjamin Isitz, From Victoria to Vladivostok. This is the seminal work on the Canadian-Siberian Expeditionary Force. It is well-written, well-researched, and gets a solid two cool thumbs up. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook just by searching Cool Canadian History and on our website, coolcanadianhistory.com. You can also find yours truly on Twitter, at DocBoris, at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And on both our website and our Facebook page, we have donation links. This show relies exclusively on donations from listeners like you. You can donate via PayPal or Patreon, and both are safe and easy ways to donate. Again, those donation links are available on our Facebook page and our website. Thank you for your support. 
Let's begin. To understand why 4,000 Canadian soldiers were in the frozen lands of Siberia, we need to go back to 1917. In that year, the First World War was far from decided. The British and the French led the Entente forces in Europe. I use the term Entente, by the way, to refer not just to the original 1914 European alliance of Britain, France, and Russia, but to define all parties allied against Germany, so in this case the United States, Japan, and the militaries of the British Commonwealth. Anyways, the Anglo-French forces of the Entente in Western Europe were suffering staggering amounts of casualties, with very little to show for three years of war. The French military was already dealing with a series of mutinies and poor morale, while Britain and her empire were starting to face manpower shortages. That same year, the Entente's key eastern ally against the Germans, Tsarist Russia, was overthrown. At first, a democratic Russian provisional government took its place and sought to maintain Russia's spot in the war. But this provisional government was also overthrown, this time by a communist party known as the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks immediately pulled Russia from the war. This was a major strategic victory for Germany. In fact, and this is really interesting, it was the Germans who had orchestrated the return of the Bolshevik leader, V.I. Lenin, back to Russia. The Germans gambled that if Lenin could seize power, he would immediately pull Russia from the war. The German gamble paid off, and by the end of 1917, German divisions previously fighting the Russians in the east were being transported to the crucial theater of the war, the Western Front. As well, what German troops remained on the Eastern Front were moving virtually unopposed through North and South Russia. South Russia in particular was a concern. This was the breadbasket of Russia and gave the Germans much-needed access to food and raw material. So we have tens of thousands of German soldiers moving from what was the Eastern Front to now the Western Front. We have the German military that has suddenly gotten vast access to major sources of raw materials and food. At this point, the Entente forces were convinced that intervention in Russia was crucial. Not only did they need to stop further German advances into Russia, but many in the Entente forces hoped that Entente intervention might topple the Bolsheviks and reinstall the previous provisional government that would in turn re-enter Russia into the war. Thus, what would become the Siberian expedition was actually part of a broader strategy to continue the war effort against Germany. Now, negotiations in regards to intervention took quite a while, and it wasn't until August of 1918 that the U.S., Japan, Britain, France, Italy, and China finalized plans for a Russian invasion. Now, Canada was already playing a significant role on the Western Front, one far beyond what any Canadian would have thought possible before the war had broken out. In fact, the Canadian Corps on the Western Front had become one of the elite fighting formations within the British military, and it seemed only natural 
that Canada would be asked to send troops alongside the multinational coalition that would include British, French, American, and Japanese soldiers and sailors. Canadian Prime Minister Robert Borden wrote of the overall goal, and I quote, Our real object was to endeavor to induce the anti-German elements in Russia to unite in opposing Germany. It was quite clear that they could not make any headway without Allied intervention. End quote. It's important to understand that Russia by mid-1918 was pure chaos. The Bolshevik takeover had plunged the country into civil war, with multiple armed factions controlling various parts of the country. In fact, a Czech-Slovak army had seized Vladivostok, where the Canadian contingent would actually land. This army was originally 66,000 prisoners of war that had been freed and organized themselves during the chaos of the Bolshevik Revolution. Now they were an anti-Bolshevik army, or white army, uh, as anti-Bolshevik forces were often called, uh, in the middle of Siberia, allied to the Entente. On August 12, 1918, the Canadian Siberian Expeditionary Force was officially authorized by the Canadian government. The Canadian contingent was to be 4,000 men strong, made up of both volunteers and conscripts. Uh, 1,600 soldiers of the CSEF were conscripted. The force had assembled in Victoria by early October 1918, yet only a month later, on 11 November, the First World War came to an end. This was the first of a series of odd events that characterized the Canadian invasion of Siberia. Some of the soldiers, especially those conscripted for service, openly questioned why they should be sent to Siberia to fight if the war was now over. In fact, while Prime Minister Robert Borden was in Europe attending the peace talks at Versailles, he received an urgent telegram from Ottawa, from his sort of second-in-command of the country, who was called the acting Prime Minister, Sir Thomas White. And White's uh, message read, All our colleagues are of opinion that public opinion here will not sustain us in continuing to send troops to Siberia. We are all of the opinion that no further troops should be sent. Consider this a matter of serious importance." End quote. Borden ignored this advice, and the CSEF would depart as planned. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yet things were not rosy in Victoria. The wet British Columbia autumn had set in, and most of the men were camped outside in poor canvas tents. A bout of flu had ripped through the ranks, in fact, the first hints of the epidemic known as the Spanish flu. The morale of the men was low, 
On their off time, some of the soldiers began attending labor meetings where members of the Socialist Party of Canada preached against any action directed towards Russia. 300 of the conscripted soldiers, in fact, signed a petition which was telegrammed to Robert Borden while in Europe. This telegram basically was a request by these soldiers that they not be sent to Siberia to fight communists. Borden ignored them. Things came to a head on the 21st of December 1918, when most of the contingents stationed in Victoria were finally given their orders to march to the ships. During a break in this march to the docks, a number of soldiers from C Company of the 259th Battalion, uh, mostly conscripted soldiers from the Montreal region, refused to march any further. A scuffle ensued, whereby the battalion chaplain, so the religious figure in the battalion, was struck in the face by one of the mutineers. The battalion commander, a man named Lieutenant Colonel Albert Swift, fired a pistol at the feet of the mutineers and then ordered two Ontario companies to whip the mutineers back into line. The mutineers of C Company were then marched to the ship, followed by what they used to call a guard of honor. That meant 50 soldiers with fixed bayonets pointed at their backs. An auspicious beginning for the CSEF's journey into Russia. By January of 1919, the Canadian Siberian Expeditionary Force, 4,000 men and one woman, a nurse named Grace Potter, were in Vladivostok. The Canadians were now part of, basically, the Russian Civil War. The headquarters for the CSEF was set up in the much-loved Puchinsky Theatre, which triggered immediate protests from the Vladivostok community. They loved their theatre. The real problem, though, was frankly what to do with the Canadians. You see, the First World War was over, but Canada now had a contingent in a country that was ripped apart by civil war. The chaos of the situation in Siberia, plus lack of any Canadian public support for the mission, led to the Canadian government refusing to authorize the main body of troops to move outside of Vladivostok, or what the soldiers would call upcountry. Essentially, the Canadians would now be garrisoned in Vladivostok, basically just guarding the town. Yet Vladivostok itself was a nightmare. Tens of thousands of refugees had fled into the town, escaping the ravages of the Civil War. A typhus epidemic had then broken out. Dead bodies were everywhere. And because of the cold winter, none could be buried. One Canadian soldier wrote about his experience at the Vladivostok train station, where many of the refugees had taken shelter. He wrote, Literally starving. They had a little area on the floor, and they all had fled from the Bolsheviks. Well, we did what we could. We took some supplies, uh, what we could. I can always remember having a loaf of bread, and a woman came rushing up, and I gave it to her. And she had the most starving-looking baby you ever saw in your life. I've seen a great many tragic scenes in various parts of the world, but that, Vladivostok, was the worst. End quote. Simply put, the Canadians were in an extremely weird situation. They had an extremely odd military mandate. They were to stay in the city and were not expected to leave it or to engage in any actual combat against Bolshevik forces, often known as the Red Army or the Red Forces. Uh, 
There were, however, still some small-scale operations involving Canadians. For instance, 200 Canadian soldiers joined Japanese, Czech, Slovak, Italian, and Chinese troops in an attack against Bolshevik partisans. 55 Canadian soldiers made a 4,300-kilometer trek from Vladivostok to Omsk to serve as an administrative staff to a larger British contingent. This was a trip that took them four weeks. Several munition trains that would travel along the Trans-Siberian Railroad were guarded by Canadians as they moved upcountry to supply white forces fighting against the Reds. Any time Canadians left Vladivostok, they came under fire from partisans or had to cope with acts of sabotage along the Trans-Siberian Railway. Even within Vladivostok, Bolshevik partisans were known to take pot shots at foreigners or put a knife in the back of unlucky drunken ones coming back to barracks late. Generally speaking, though, the CSEF remained a garrison force. They formed hockey and baseball leagues, established a newspaper, built movie theaters and canteen huts. Soldiers would take day leave into the city center where they drank, ate, visited brothels and bathhouses. Tension with the local population increased the longer the foreign troops remained in the region, and Canadian troops were ordered to carry weapons at all times, and eventually were forbidden to even interact with the local civilian population. The garrison situation, frankly, was untenable. Public and political pressure back home was mounting against Robert Borden. The CSEF was becoming a strain on his administration. It was becoming a stain on his administration. The Prime Minister soon came to realize that his decision to send these men had been a mistake. In February 1919, the Canadians were ordered to evacuate Vladivostok and return home, reaching Canadian soil by June. Nineteen Canadians had died during the expedition, almost all of them by disease. Four more Canadians had deserted while in Russia. Those mutineers that had been charged with mutiny and convicted were quietly released. Everybody wanted to forget this bungling episode. And for most Canadians, the Siberian Expeditionary Force fell through the cracks of Canadian history. Frostbitten and forgotten. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care. Take care.